Hey guys, this is Sam Hunter. Welcome to the Sam Hunter Podcast, where we discuss all things hunting, trapping, and fishing. Hey Steve, welcome to the Sam Hunter Podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm good, Sam. How about yourself? Doing great. Um, Why don't you go ahead and just let us know who you are, how long you've hunted, and the species that you typically hunt. Yeah, for sure. I've been hunting for... I guess 22 years now. Um, Generally, most of the hunting that I do is uh, big game. So it's mostly deer, elk. um, And then I've just really in the past, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years started to get more into the predator hunting aspects of it and deer wildlife management. So really anything that's uh, big game associated out in the Western states. Wow, that's awesome. And we have an incredible story for our listeners today um, about a bear attack that Steve did go through. And we're honored to have you on the show to share this experience because I know it's personal. It's something uh, traumatic that a lot of people don't go through. And I know that seen anyway, but I want to hear the full story from you. Corn sheep hunt when this took place. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I drew a once in a lifetime big run sheep tag and it took place i believe it was day 14 i think into the hunt so wow so for our listeners i know for myself i've never actually been on a bighorn sheep hunt um but i've seen some uh some different hunts of that and it's something that's interested me and i know we probably have a, a lot of listeners who are in the same situation where maybe they've um wanted to go on a bighorn sheep hunt one day but don't know what all goes into it what typically goes into that and that sort of thing? Yeah, so there's quite a bit of logistics that go into hunting sheep. Um, obviously, the first big one is that anywhere in the lower 48, it's a once-in-a-lifetime tag, uh, unless you're uh, gifted in another tag or win one in you know a potential drawing at one of the sheep shows. So it's basically a once-in-a-lifetime tag per state. Um And so if you draw the tag, the logistics and the planning that go into it are months and months in advance. So when I found out I drew the tag, uh, I basically quit doing anything else. All my free time was spent scouting or researching areas of hunting, trying to talk to other people that had successfully drawn the tag and been successful in previous years. Um, So, you know, you're doing mounds and mounds of research from the terrain that you're going to be covering to, you know, potentially having supplies dropped off to you in those areas um, to the weather and trying to pattern that and understand what might happen if weather comes in and the animals start moving to wintering grounds. Um, So you're basically trying to plan all these logistics and then do as much research as you can. And usually you find out you drew the tag, you know, it's three or four months in advance. So you've basically got this four month window to plan your entire hunt, get all the logistics figured out, uh, meal preparation, food, um, you know, and, and basically put it together a good game plan. And then when it starts, hopefully you've done your homework, um, and can be successful, you know, in the, uh, in the actual hunt itself. Absolutely. And, um, where did this hunt take place? Idaho. And from what I was looking one thing said was, uh, that it was called the river of no return wilderness. Is that generally the, area yes. Where yeah, you, it is. So it's the Frank church wilderness area in Idaho, which is the, it's the largest roadless area in the lower 48 States. 
Wow. Um, so I've got to ask because for me, uh, you know, I do a little hunting at the home address with a bow, but a couple hours out, we have some family property where I do more so rifle hunting for deer, coyotes. And I've noticed that, you know, when I go with friends, um, I normally don't think of this, but when I go alone, there's always in the back of my head this little bit of paranoia about bears because our neighbor at that property out there has said that he sees them all the time in the woods there. So for some reason, it, it never really crosses my mind until I'm going there alone and then it's four or five in the morning and I'm in pitch black dark on the way to the deer stand. And that's when it starts to sort of creep in and, and I start thinking about it. But for you, going into this hunt, um, you know, how aware were you of bears going into the trip? Um, and how much did bears sort of preoccupy your mind space going into the You know, I don't think that I spent a whole ton of time worrying about the amount of bears that are in the wilderness. Um, there's a healthy population in there for sure, but bears are just something that in Idaho, you really got to be looking for them. Um, they're pretty elusive. They don't stand out super well. Um, they're not like, you know, deer and elk where they make themselves pretty visible in open areas feeding. They seem to be doing a good job of keeping themselves hidden at all times. So, I hadn't really given it much thought. And honestly, when we had started talking about the logistics of the hunt and what I was going to do and where we going to, you know, end up floating the river or planing in and getting dropped off into a location, um, the forest service and fishing game, actually uh, the forest service had let me know that they had had reports of bears on the river um, entering into people's camps, looking for food. Uh, Cause it was towards, the October timeframe, so bears are starting to hibernate and they're looking for easy access to food. And so you get, I think it's 10 or 11,000 people that are, you know, accessed and permitted to float that river a year and you have to have a permit to do it and draw it. So it's a pretty big deal to even get a permit to float the river. Um, but basically they just had a lot of people that had floated the river that year. It doesn't sound like the cleanliness from the groups that had floated on the river was up to the par um, of, you know, the forest service. And so that had led to bears coming into camp areas because naturally it's easy food and they start associating that with people. So they had kind of told us all this stuff, you know, leading up to the hunts. And when I got in there and flew in there, they had said that it was even more prevalent because they've had more bear sightings. So we had taken really all the necessary precautions, um, you know, locking our food in, full on dry bags and then locking them in, um, the boat in like a, a completely, you know, bear proof kind of storage container, if you will. Um, so it's basically sealed in a dry bag and then it's in another container that's sealed airtight too. So you're trying to do everything you can to basically mitigate the risk of smells and food. Um, but at the same time you're in the wilderness area and you're a person. So you put off that kind of smell and presence as well. So it's, it's very tough to get rid of all the odor that you're going to put off just from yourself and the food that you're eating on a daily basis. Right. Absolutely. And if you would go ahead and give us a little bit of a walkthrough of the hunt leading up to this point, I know the majority of the hunt actually took place before the bear attack happened. So how was the hunt going? Had anybody gotten a sheep yet? Um, what was sort of the flow in the day to day leading yeah. up to that experience? So, um, I was the only one who had drawn the sheep tag in the party I hunted with. So it was two of my longtime childhood friends that came along with me. And we had opted from our research to do kind of nine days of a backpack hunt. And then if we couldn't find any sheep, then we would get, 
um, planed in, basically take a small aircraft into an area where we could get dropped off and then float um, basically like a 50 to 60 mile stretch of the river that encompassed my hunting unit as well. So it was quite a bit to plan for, but we did the first nine days, which was basically backpacking, I think about 60 or 70 miles around the upper end of the unit. And we had got into sheep. Um, I think it was day two or three. We saw sheep immediately, a big group of them. We had a hard time locating the rams in the group because they weren't quite um, starting to rut yet. And so they weren't quite at the point where they were they were tracking down the females. They were still kind of in their bachelor groups, if you will. So um, we ended up finding a, a couple of different groups of female sheep with some younger rams in them um, that are kind of juvenile rams are only three or four years old. So we continued to keep looking um, for the next few, four or five days and ultimately just never found, you know, a, a good mature full coral ram. We just kept finding kind of three and four year old rams, which in, you know, in, in most areas, it's considered to be like, um, a, a half curl ram. So Idaho, you're allowed to take any type of ram. It doesn't have to be a full curl ram, but it is a once in a lifetime tag. So, you oh. know, you're, you're given that option. You could shoot anything you want, but at right. the same time, if you do it, that's it. You're never doing it again. So I opted to want to shoot a mature full curl ram and just have my sights set on that. So, um, yeah, the first nine days we just struggled to find a full curl ram, but saw I think fifty or sixty sheep that week. So yeah, wow. it was um, a good experience, right? A lot of backpacking, a lot of running around in high elevation, um, and so you got to be in pretty good shape. And then it's a lot of time spent glassing. You usually spent long days in spotting scopes and you know binos looking for them, um, and then you know try to make a plan of attack to get as close as you can to try to find, you know, more sheep and try to figure out where the rams might be. So that was really the first nine days. Um, after that, and being that we couldn't find or locate the rams that was with that group of sheep, we decided to pull out and went back and got into a plane, at which point we got planed into the top end of the middle fork and then, you know, dumped all our gear out, got an inflatable raft um, that had you know, basically everything set up for us in it. So we, you know, put all of that together, set it up and then got in and floated the river for the next nine days. Wow. Well, I, you know, this sounds like an incredible adventure for one. And it's awesome that you had, you know, some of your best childhood friends with you on this trip um, in the midst of all this. And what day was I it that you actually got get a ram? ram. So, yeah, yep. Oh, I, I didn't get one. Okay. I actually okay. let... Um, it was two days after I got attacked, I could have shot two other rams, but they weren't, again, they just were kind of that maybe about a half a curl, right? They're just not quite at a full mature ram yet. They need a couple right. more years. And so we just elected to pass on them and, and keep looking really. Right. That makes sense. And, you know, it definitely, um, registers with, you know, with it being a once in a lifetime tag. Uh, you know, I can definitely see how you would want to hold off and wait because, you know, you still have your whole life ahead of you. You can still get an awesome ram. And so I think that's really the wise call. And I think that's something that a lot of hunters, you know, could struggle with when they get into that type of situation. Um, it can even be on a smaller scale, like in a, in a deer season, having that one buck and having one buck tag left, but, you know, waiting it out, um, seeing what kind of sizes. And so, you know, a good call, you know, overall, um, 
And when you, the night the attack happened, were there any specific uh, memories that you had even before y'all went to to kind of camp out for the night? Just anything that stood out to you? Honestly, no. It was it was like a a pretty typical day, I would say, in in the wilderness area, right? Um, it was honestly right. a really good day fly fishing on the river. That day we had had to we rafted um, some pretty gnarly sections. So there was a couple of class three and class four rapids, and then we got into some more class three. So it was really like a 13 mile stretch where I think that there was five or six class three and four rapids. So it was a pretty full day of like rafting um, and the weather had been kind of rainy. So it was, I was pretty exhausted, honestly. And then we were fly fishing the whole time going down the river. So we were honestly catching quite a bit of fish and having a pretty good time. So we had planned days where we would specifically, that would be a float day and we would break down camp, reset up camp, you know, and those were kind of float days. And so that was just a pure float day where we had broke down camp the morning, got everything into the boat. Um, you know, try to wait till it's a little bit warmer because we're in October floating in the river, get the boat launched, set it all up, made it through all the rapids uh, with with no, you know, catastrophes or anything like that and got all the way down to Sheep Creek, which were or um, where we thought, you know, there would be quite a bit of, of sign and activity for a wintering area. Um, and so we were naturally pretty excited. And, and I think I was so tired, I just went to bed pretty early and didn't really think anything of it. So. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't like I'd done anything different right. from the day before, you know, that uh, at least that I could remember. Absolutely. And I know you had mentioned, you know, some of the reports coming out about bears, you know, being around campsites, going into campsites and that sort of thing. Personally, for you and your group of buddies, had you guys seen any bear sign leading up to this point um, the night before the attack? Had you guys seen any, you know, any kind of sign, any prints or anything of bears? No, honestly, we hadn't seen any like down in the campsites. We hadn't seen any bear prints. Uh, we hadn't even seen a bear the entire trip. We'd mostly seen deer and elk and some sheep uh, and the occasional mountain goat. But no, for the most part, we hadn't seen a single bear or um, seen any of their sign really down by the river. So we had just kind of thought that the... Um, you know, the stuff that the forest service had told us might've been at different campsites. Cause there's a number of different campsites along the river. And so we were basically allotted in, you know, these certain campsites that we were camping at. Um, and from what we could tell, it hadn't looked like people had been there in, in, you know, quite a few weeks or maybe a week or two. And it hadn't looked like there was any animals that had been there either. So no, it wasn't like there was, you know, any bear sign really that we had noticed where we were camped at that point in time. Right. Absolutely. And so you have this day, you know, the day before and you've, you've caught all this, this fish, uh, you've been on the river, having a great time with your best friends. And then, you, like you said, you went to bed a little bit early that night and just sort of walk us through um, your memories of what. Yeah, it was it was one of those things that I could describe as, you know, you're 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 dead asleep, right? You're so sound asleep that you've had, long, you know, a long day of working or just a long day of hunting in general, right? Your feet are tired, you've eaten, and you're just pretty much out. So it was like dark black sleep. Like I wasn't dreaming or anything. I was just totally out dead to the world. And when I woke up, it felt like somebody was literally pulling my hair out. Like somebody had just taken a handful of your hair and basically just ripped it out of your head. Um, my natural reaction was just like wow. purely, you know, out of reaction. I just threw my hand behind my head and, you know, 
out of reaction and smack something. Um, and not knowing what it was, I'd smack the bear kind of like right in the mouth or in the jaw and started reaching around my head, trying to figure out what was going on and why I had had this, you know, sensation of my hair being kind of pulled out. Um, and so I was feeling the back of my head and I noticed that it was all wet. Like, you know, like I'd just been in the shower and gotten out of the shower and I was like, kind of actually woke up and was like, Oh wow, that's weird. What's, why am I all wet and what's going on? And, you know, at that point in time, I could kind of open my eyes and, you know, start to process some thoughts and things were happening. And I, you know, opened my eyes and kind of looked back um, above me. And there was this, you know, kind of shadowy figure standing there breathing. Um, And I was trying to figure out what that was at this time. Was I dreaming? I was trying to process everything that was going on because it was happening so fast. And I couldn't tell if it was a wolf or a bear or even if I was awake. Um, at which point in time, my buddy, uh, that was next to me had kind of heard all of this commotion happening. He heard me wake up, um, you know, kind of smack this bear. And then I'm rummaging around trying to look for my flashlight, some other stuff. So he woke up next to me, not even knowing that he was awake. He had actually leaned over, found his pistol before I could find mine, leaned over, looked, saw a bear standing there, sitting over top of me, basically, you know, in, it would be like a sitting dog position. So, you know, he's sitting down like a dog would typically sit. My head is in between his front paws. Um, and so that's what my buddy wakes up to see with the full moon is there's a, you know, bear standing there where I should be sleeping. And, and, you know, his front paws are basically where my head should be. And so he just ended up grabbing his gun, leaned over, shot the bear, which was basically right, you know, over my face. So he leaned over and he's got this pistol, you know, across my face, he shoots the bear at, you know, which point in time it's kind of full chaos. Cause it's two in the morning. We're not in a tent. We're sleeping on the ground and baby sacks with a tarp under us. So now we're trying to figure out what he just shot. Like, was that a bear? What's happening at the same time? Um, I'm trying to figure out if I'm bleeding, we're trying to find a flashlight. So we've got all this stuff going on. Um, and at the same time, the bear had jumped up and, and hit the tarp that was above us. So that fell down on all three of us. And so now we're all trying to figure out what's going on and, wow. and what's happening. Um, yeah. And so it's, you know, my buddy's got his flashlight on and I'm like, what was that? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm bleeding. And he's like, I don't think you're bleeding. Um, and we turn and look and he's like, yeah, you're definitely bleeding. I don't know what that was. And so we start looking around and there's really blood everywhere. And that kind of had me worried. Cause I'm like, well, that's a lot of blood all of a sudden. And then we could actually hear uh, the bear. So the bear had just basically ran up the tree we were sleeping under. Um, and where my buddy ended up shooting him was right in the neck and the face with a, it was a, a judge revolver. So he actually had like number six bird shot in his revolver. Ended up shooting this bear in the neck and the face and the mouth, basically at point blank, like two feet. It, you know, has got bird shot everywhere. So it climbed up this tree scared and is basically bleeding out of its mouth and its neck down onto us underneath this tarp. Um, and we're trying to examine me and figure out what's going on at the same time. So it's kind of like a lot of moving pieces, but eventually we get the tarp off of us, realize that I am bleeding and I've been bitten by of us. And there's this bear about eight feet above us in a tree and he's bleeding out of his mouth profusely now on top of us, at which point in time, we both jump out of our sleeping bags. We're trying to find our rifles now and get, you know, a real flashlight up and try to figure out where the bear is and what's happening, um, you know, and assess the situation. So it was basically, you know, a pretty fast scenario of, I woke up, you know, felt the back of my head. My buddy woke up a couple seconds later, he ended up, you know, shooting the bear, which 
it wounded it, but didn't kill it. So then it ran up a tree, you know, at which point in time we're trying to find, you know, supplies and, and medical stuff to assess me. And at the same time, take care of the bear. Cause we're not sure if he's rabbit or if he's coming back down out of the tree to attack us or what's happening. So basically everybody jumps out of their sleeping bags, grabs their guns and their flashlights. And we turn over to this tree and try to find this bear as soon as possible. So we can, you know, put a fatal shot into him. Um, at which point in time, I think that was, boy, that was probably less than, you know, a minute after I'd been, um, bitten, I'd kind of jumped out, found my seven mag. My buddy was able to, you know, find him with a flashlight in this tree. And, you know, it was basically, you know, a point blank shot up into this tree, um, from 50 feet that I had shot this bear. So it was basically, you know, a lot had happened in a short period of time in a minute, um, you know, I was basically bitten in the head twice, had a bear shot over top of me, um, had his blood all over me, my blood all over me, had a tarp fall on all three of us. He scurried up a tree, you know, at which point in time we're trying to get out of our sleeping bags, get it underneath and out of this tarp to find our gun um, and try to dispose of the bear as quickly as possible because we're just not sure what the whole scenario is. Right, absolutely. And when it went up the tree, um, who was it? That made it was it was me that made the the final shot because I had had the rifle in there with us. Wow, absolutely, and you know that is an incredible story, and it's you know um, so great that your your buddies were there with you during all this, and um, it does sound like a lot of chaos, obviously, and in those kinds of traumatic moments, um, you know, instinct just kind of takes over, but. Um, it's it's really great that your friends were there. And did it ever occur to you or, you know, just playing it back in your mind, um, you know, what what do you think would have been the result if if your friends hadn't been there? I know you did. You'd had your gun and, you know, the bear or, or you know, it may have been knocked away in the process. But um, did that kind of ever play through your mind? Like, you know, just the thankfulness, obviously, of them being there, but also if they weren't there. How yeah. That you out? know, it could have been really detrimental because. Um when the bear actually came in, he had been rummaging around inside of, you know, where we were sleeping under this tarp. So he had basically come in, moved my handgun that I had, I was sleeping next to moved my flashlight, like all this other stuff that was basically scattered next to me, my boots, my clothes. Like he had basically went through all of my stuff while I was sleeping. Right. And then decided there was nothing good there to eat, right. but me. And so my head was just kind of hanging out. Um, but yeah, you know, replaying the thoughts I had thought about it cause there I am panicking, right. I'm trying to figure out like, is my brain registering? Was I just attacked by a bear? Is this a wolf? Am I dreaming? Uh, at the same time, I'm trying to look right. for my 357, which it's not where it should be. It should be right here where I just set it next to my head when I went to sleep. So now I'm really confused cause I can't find anything that I just set down a couple hours ago. Right. I'm not sure what's happening. And you know, now there's a loud basically bang that's went off you know a foot above my face and all of that so you know it, it at the end of the day I was super thankful that they were there because I felt like had it just been me in that situation by myself with the bear like yeah things could have been really bad so I'm super grateful that both of them were there and that you know my buddy Bobby reacted as fast as he did by just waking up I mean the way he describes it is he goes I wake up I heard some commotion I look over and there's a bear literally standing over the top of your head I just reached over and grabbed my gun and stuck it right in his face and shot it. And 
So it was, you know, hearing his side of the story is a little interesting. And then mine and then the other guy that was with us, too, he has a little bit different version of it, too, because he was dead asleep and didn't hear any of it until the gunshot, basically. Wow, absolutely. And, you know, I got to ask, what what became of the bear? Was this something you were able to keep or um, what? Yeah, so fishing game, um, I had a bear tag and they let me keep the bear. Um because their logic behind it was basically it was, you know, it wasn't taken an awfully right. They would have had to actually go back in there uh, and track the bear down and kill it to make sure it didn't have rabies or that it wouldn't attack somebody else. So at the end of it, fishing game was, was basically like, you know, um, we're sorry that you've got attacked. We appreciate you actually disposing of the bear. Cause we would have had to go back in there and do that. Um, and we're totally fine with letting you keep the hide and pelt if that's what you would like. So basically I, you know, was able to tag the bear, um, harvest it, take it all out there. And then after fishing game and the health department did their checks on it, they let me keep it. Wow. That, that is amazing. And, you know, I got to ask, what, what did you have done with the spear? Did you, you know, mount it or a, a rug? or? Yeah, I had it turned into a rug. So I kept the skull and it's, it's a rug that's at my house actually. Um, on, it's just going up, up into the upstairs. So I put it on my wall, going up the upstairs into my house, just as it, it's a good reminder, right? Every day I wake up and I look at it and Absolutely. I realize that, I'm super grateful that I'm alive um, because it totally could have been my last day, you know, five years ago. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, so many people um, go on bear hunts and, and just, you know, do everything they can to try to hunt a bear and actually aren't successful. But, you know, you actually got this bear in self-defense. Not only did you survive, but you ended up getting that, um, as a piece of memorabilia. And like you said, to remind you every day you see it, how thankful for you are, you are to be alive and um, what you were able to overcome in that moment with your buddy. So that's an incredible, incredible story. Yeah, it, um, it was definitely, um, you know, like you said, originally, just a good adventure um, with good friends. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I got to ask, how long did it take before you were back in the woods hunting again? And did this trip, um, kind of end right there, you know, I would imagine with the wounds, maybe, you know, did you go straight to the hospital or did the trip continue? How did the rest of the trip play out? Um, and even after the trip, how soon was it before you were right back in the woods hunting again? Yeah, the, the trip didn't end cause it, we're in the, the middle fork of the salmon, uh, which is a wilderness area with no roads. So we got flown in in a plane. We're floating down this river. We have a plane slated to pick us up. It was three days after I got attacked. So the only way to get actual help is you'd have to climb up to where you get service with a sat phone and actually make a call. Um, at which point in time, you know, after we had looked at my, my injuries, it was basically like I'd gotten two test bites on the top of my skull. So it's, like over the right right side of my eye, um, it basically had, you know, given me two good bites where it, it hinges its front jaw and, and basically kind of scrapes across the top of your skull. So it's not like a big chomping bite. It's like a test bite. And so it basically scraped, you know, the skin off of my skull um, in four spots because it would bit me twice with the two top fangs. So it's basically like it just hinged, scraped, you know, all the way across my skull, all the way down to the backside of it, peeling that skin off and then bit me again and did the same thing. So it wasn't, it didn't puncture my skull. It had just basically peeled the skin off of my skull. So there wasn't, 
I couldn't stitch anything back together. I basically just had to bandage the wounds as best as possible and try to keep it from bleeding. Um, and that's what we did basically the next day was just clean the wounds, you know, make sure everything um, was taken care of and sanitary from that part. And then that happened at, I think it was about 2 a.m. So it took us the next four hours to really get the bear cleaned up, get everything back together, you know, at which time we were all pretty exhausted. So we slept half the next day, went sheep hunting that afternoon, and then sheep hunted the next two days until we had to float back down the river eight more miles and then get a plane ride out. Wow, absolutely. And, you know, during the rest of that time, um, were bears more prevalent in your mind or were you just kind of thinking, you know, obviously this isn't a normal situation, you know, you're not really expecting any more to come back, but also being through just such a traumatic experience, uh, was there more, you know, you know, were there more bears on your mind? Did you, um, worry about them going for the rest of that hunt or not, not so much? Yeah, no, it was, I think all of us did, honestly, the next two days, not really any of us slept, right? It was one of those those right. types of, of scenarios where anything moves at night, you're you're wide awake, right? If you heard a, a squirrel come out of the tree, you thought it might have been a bear coming to get you. So it was very, very sleepless nights the next couple of nights in camp, I would say, for all of us. Um, and just naturally, like you said, when you go something traumatic through something traumatic like that, your mind it, it doesn't play tricks on you, but it can't help but be cautionary. Like, hey, this already happened. It could happen again. Are you prepared for it? And so, if anything, it's made me more prepared um, for going into the woods and situations like that. And I'm super thankful that we were overly prepared to take care of that situation. But yeah, it's still, still to this day, you know, I still have memories of it. I still wake up um, some mornings and feel like I'm being attacked by a bear. You know, so it's one of those things that I don't know if it'll ever go away, um, but it's always there. And I think it's a good feeling, right? It's one of those things that lets me know I should always be prepared for the worst case scenario. And if it doesn't happen, then great, but I'm still prepared. Absolutely. And while you were going through the rest of that trip, is this something where um, you and your buddies were able to skin the bear and kind of pack it with you, or did you have to come back for this? No, we skinned the bear and, and put the whole bear and, and as much meat as we could in the boat with all three of us um, and packed it all down river. So we had everything packed up in our raft and basically we're rafting down the river, um, you know, hunting out of different spots as we were rafting along. Right. And, you know, once you got back home, um, you know, I'm sure friends and family, obviously you had one of the most out there hunting stories to tell them, but after all this ended, how soon would you say it was before you were back in the woods hunting again? It was two weeks after that. Um, yeah. So two weekends after that general deer season opened and I went solo hunting by myself for two days. You know, it was just, yeah, it was wow. just like a normal, it was just like something new. And I knew that the sooner I got back out there into the woods and was camping, you know, and did it by myself, that the better off I would be. Um, right. Absolutely. And going into that, um, I was going to say, as far as, you know, therapeutic experiences, uh, you know, did that help you going to hunting? And it sounds like it did going hunting on your own and sort of uh, confronting that fear or, you know, what had happened face to face and, because you hear all these stories of, you know, whether it's shark attacks or, um, you know, surfers that, ha you know, professional surfers even that have been attacked by sharks and they're back out there surfing 
a week or two later, just as you went back out a week, you know, a couple weeks later. Um, and maybe a part of it is that, that drive to just kind of face that fear, which a lot of people wouldn't be able to do, but, um, you know, just to go out there and say, you know, face that head on. So that's, that's incredible. And, you know, I do have to ask, have you ever seen, um, any, any of those movies? I mean, you know, there's, there's movies about every kind of animal attack, but had you seen before or after any kind of movies like the Revenant or some of these movies? And if so, um, does that trigger anything? Do you think, okay, that's not at all how it is. Is it very much so how it is? I mean, what are these types of things? Um, how do the, how does that? Yeah, it's it's it totally brings back experiences, right, and memories, right. Like when you're when I was watching the Reverend right. or first watching it, and they talked about a bear attack a scene. As soon as it starts, like I can remember the exact date, the time, the smell. Like I can remember all those things, you know. And so it's it's definitely something that still triggers those emotions, right? I can still feel my senses get heightened. I can still feel goosebumps start coming up on the back of my neck and all over my body. Like I can remember what I was wearing almost to a T. Um, in those movies, you know, I think they do a good job of, you know, depicting a good fight scene. In all reality, you know, I think if a bear really wanted to attack you and kill you, it would take less than five seconds, right? If he really wanted to come in there and right. just you know, he would, he would have stomped my head with one of his paws and that would have been it. He, like, he wouldn't even have had to bite me or he just takes one swipe at your head with, you know, a, a very powerful arm that weighs, you know, probably a good portion of, you know, your, 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 your body weight, basically. It's like the power that those things have, if they really wanted to, they would have no problem taking you out in a matter of seconds. So I think a lot of the attacks are honestly cautionary and curious kind of attacks right there you know the the bear that had attacked me you know it was a a male and i think it's about like five foot eight and 250 to 275 pounds so it's a pretty decent sized bear but what they had figured is that it was probably the dominant one of the dominant males in the area you know it had been used to potentially getting food and stuff like that so it's basically like this bear thinks he's the biggest baddest thing you know and in the area in the woods and he probably is so naturally when you come into his area he's going to test you to see if you're a prey or if you're a predator and where you're at on the food chain and so naturally i think that that's what happens into a lot of those attacks is that you know the bear's usually a big boar and you know he is probably not scared of anything in the area and he knows that or it's a female who's got cubs around and she's scared that you're going to hurt those and i think that that's generally where most of the attacks come from is that you startle a bear they're scared and they attack and in my case it was where a bear had come in in the dark he's pretty big he knows he's the biggest one around and so he's testing me to see if i'm going to run or if i'm going to fight and you know, fortunately for me, I had had my friends there that were prepared and myself. Otherwise, it could have went a lot worse, I think. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, normally um, on the show, we talk to a lot of people who, you know, science shows and science has proven that any kind of uh, memories that had your heart beating and sort of had the adrenaline going, people remember better, no matter what that is. And for a lot of the people we've uh, talked to on the show, they've had those feelings of that adrenaline, the heart beating, the memory, just like it was yesterday. But it's more so about, you know, uh, a crazy deer they've taken or, you know, some kind of crazy predator they've taken in a hunt. But um, being that, you know, this was in an actual attack, of course, on a hunt, 
But in an attack, it is a little bit of, or I should say, a very different experience than just um, a hunt. Um, so you brought up some of the, the therapy of going out just two weeks later and saying, you know, I'm going to face those fears. I'm not going to let that stop me. And, you know, I, I've heard um, from another bear attack victim, uh, just for him, he had said that, um, you know, I just heard him talking about it. This wasn't somebody who was on the show, but he had said how for him, the more he talked about it, uh, the more therapeutic that was for him and that he was actually encouraged to do that. Now, every situation is different. Um, and of course, part of your experience was going right back out there and hunting and facing your fears. Do you feel like over the years, you know, the more, whether it's telling a friend, a family member for the first time after it happened, you know, obviously in different news stations, you know, you were on right after this happened. Is, is it something where the more you talk about it, the more therapeutic and better it is for you? Or how does that sort of translate for you? Yeah, I would say it is, right? The more you talk about it, the more you get it out there, you know, the better it is for you. And I think the better, the bigger piece of it for me was that I wanted to educate people on it, right? Like um, when it first happened, you know, I, you have all these feelings and emotions and you're really not sure, you know, kind of what to what to feel about that situation. Um, and so ultimately, you know, when I sat down and talked with people, everyone encouraged me to kind of share the story and, and, you know, um, let everybody know. And I think that, like you said, it was a, a big part for me was, was sharing the story and obviously letting people know, um, you know, the feelings involved, but more of it was preparing people, right? Like, Hey, this can happen. And, you know, I'm a typical normal person. I do spend a little bit more time in the woods probably than your average, you know, hunter, but it can happen to people that are even, you know, extremely prepared and people that know what they're doing, you know, and they spend a lot of time in the woods. So that's really what it was more about is I wanted people to know, Hey, that anything can happen out there. You need to be prepared for all sorts of, of situations to happen. Um, and then when that does happen, you need to have, you know, either a good core group of friends or people out there that you can rely on in those times. Um, because that's the bigger aspect is having a good support group. So I think those are two major things for me was I had a really good support system that encouraged me to share the information that I had learned about the attack. Um, and also the feelings that I was feeling, you know, afterwards and, and kind of the uncertainty of, should I get back out there? Is it too early? Is it too late? And everyone I talked to just encouraged me, you should get back out there. It's what you love to do is fly fish and be in the woods and, and archery hunt and, you know, just be out there riding a motorcycle or in general, it's, it's usually in the woods. So my friends and family were really big about getting me back out, you know, there and, and making sure that I didn't miss a beat. Uh, and then at the same time, they were really good about encouraging me to, to talk about it and to, you know, walk through kind of the emotions that you're having, because at the end of the day, it's, you can't really tell anybody how to prepare for a bear attack. I think all that you can do from looking back at it is be there to support them, you know, and be there to let them know it's, it's not a normal situation, but we're glad that you're alive and you made it through it. And we should learn from this situation. I think those were the biggest things that people were really, you know, helping me with. And that was something that I wanted to encourage other people that, you know, potentially got attacked by an animal to, you know, obviously share it and learn from it. Right. And that, you know, that makes sense. And, you know, it's definitely one of those things where, and, and, you know, each attack that happens is obviously so different and there's no way to know exactly how that's going to play out. Um, and, you know, as far as people who, 
Um, I know, I know you can't say to each person's individual experience or, you know, what they could do to prepare for an attack, but in general, just having been through this experience and you, you talked about the chaos, um, you know, the tarp falling guns, getting knocked away, um, all kinds of things like this happening. What would you say to somebody who, without knowing any details, um, if they ever were to be in a bear attack, cause I remember even on my very first, uh, hunt, my cousin took me on my very first deer hunt ever. And, you know, he had mentioned, you know, I think I, in the moment brought it up, just kind of thinking about it. Cause it was pitch black, dark, I think three in the morning, we were on our way to the, uh, you know, the woods to hunt. And I just kind of asked him, are there bears where we're going? And he said, well, yeah, our neighbor up there has seen bears in the woods. Um, and so we just kind of got into a conversation about it. And I kind of said, well, you know, what's our plan if that were to happen? It was my first hunt ever. So I had lots of questions and, you know, he, he definitely didn't really want to go there too much. You know, he's, he had said he, he'd always been very, um, that's something that was in the back of his mind and he didn't really want to right. think about it. Um, and you know, I understood that and I got to feel very quickly that I should probably just drop the whole conversation based on, you know, just the reaction. But, um, in general for people who it can happen in any kind of way, it can happen on elk hunts with a grizzly. It can happen just walking to the deer stand, but, in general, what sound advice would you give for somebody in the moment if they're getting attacked, not knowing any kind of specifics of what might happen, uh, but maybe just more about uh, keeping their state of mind calm, anything like that? What would you say to people? Out there? Yeah, it's I don't, like you said, I don't think there's any one thing that you can do to prepare for it. I think the biggest the biggest thing to do is uh, is obviously not, you know, not completely lose your cool. Right. You still need to somehow maintain and have you know a a coherent or normal thought process you need to be able to understand the thoughts that are going through your brain what you're processing and seeing you know in real time Um, and so that's more of being able to operate under pressure right you need to be able to operate under extreme pressure and the only way to operate under extreme pressure is to practice in extremely pressurable situations so you know, the best advice I would give somebody to be attacked by a bear is, you know, try to remain calm is, is tough as that sounds. At the same time, you have to be willing to fight for your life. So you've got to fight with everything that you possibly got in you, you know, to, to live. And then you need to be as loud and as big as you possibly can, right? A big part of, you know, being out in the woods is an intimidating factor. And so I think if you're in an attack situation with the black bear, you know, obviously one you've got to fight back Two, you need to be as intimidating as you can because it's it's basically come to this you know now it's it's you know me or you right and so you've got to do everything you possibly can within your power to fight um i've read a lot of stories and talked to some other people too and there there is these guys who keep their composure so well and they've been attacked you know once or twice by a bear and it's coming back again and they're able to see and visualize the mouth coming in and stick their hand actually down a bear's throat and that's ideally that's your best case scenario if you're being attacked by a bear best thing you can do is you know fight back but if you can stick your hand all the way down a bear's throat they have a horrible gag reflex uh and so naturally if you can get it down there to where they have to gag apparently it's it's one of the most painful things for bears and a couple of guys that I've read on recent reports have actually stuck their hand, you know, elbow all the way down to their elbow, down a bear's throat. And the gag reflexes naturally make them puke and turn and run away. Um, so that's one of the best things that I've actually heard from both people being attacked by black bears and grizzlies is if you can 
get your arm down their throat, you know, to make them get a gag reaction because it's something they don't like at all. I've also heard that, you know, their senses are, are obviously, you know, a couple thousand times better than a normal dog's. And so if you can get shots into the nose, right, with your palm or your hand, um, that's going to simulate short circuiting, you know, the neurons that connect a brain's bears, you know, nose to its actual brain. So if you can short circuit those functions, it actually might give you some time as well or may startle the bear. Um, and so those would kind of be my best things, you know, obviously try to try to fight as best as you can. Um, definitely try to get shots in, you know, to the nose. And, and if you can, that gag reflex I've heard is just, you know, it's un, it's like the best thing that you could do if you're being attacked. But I, I'm still trying to figure out how you maintain your composure and actually get your arm down a bear's throat while it's attacking you. So those it's, it's, you know, those are, those are questions I have of myself for these guys that have been attacked, but that's, those are the best advice that I would give that I've seen. And just, you know, for me knowing what happened to myself, maintaining your composure, not losing it, you know, not jumping out of my sleeping bag and trying to, you know, wrestle a bear to the ground. Right. It's trying to process what's happening. What's the best case scenario? What can I do to stay alive? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I've got to say, um, just from what you normally hear, uh, you know, you hear bear spray or just, you know, fall on your face and and cover your head. But I've never heard this. And I really like what you said. And and, um, that's the great thing for our listeners out there, because we do have a lot of listeners who um, are in bear country and even in different countries. But there's still in areas where bears are prevalent. And I feel like this is this is not something you hear every day, but to hear, you know, just trying to um, get to that gag reflex of the bear or punch in the nose. These are things that are important and you really don't hear it a lot. Um, so it's awesome that you have that information for people, because um, like you said, it, it is about keeping calm, you know, I, I in these situations, but also fighting for your life. And so I think that's something that maybe just hearing that from you could help somebody someday, because. Um, you know, it could be one of those situations where they think just do what I've always heard and what's all over the, the media, you know, just fall over and cover your head. But instead, maybe the advice they need is to at least know that option of, uh, going for that gag reflex, going for the bear's nose for those sensitive spots. And so that's incredible information. And Steve, I just want to thank you too, for taking the time to come on the show, um, talking to our listeners and really sharing, you know, experience that's personal, like a lot of the the big hunts we hear are, but this is more than that. You know, it was a, tra- a traumatic experience that you went through personally. And so we want to all thank you for taking the time to come on the show and share yeah. that with us. Today. Yeah, of course. Um, definitely happy to share any of that. I picked, I picked that information up too about the, um, you know, sticking your arm down a, a bear's throat. There was a guy that got attacked the same year I did. And it was, I think probably less than a week after I did, he was attacked in Montana by a grizzly bear. Um, and that's what he had done. He was, yeah basically started on a sleeping grizzly bear, woke it up and attacked him, came back and was attacking him repeatedly. And he had remembered that his grandma told him to stick his arm down a bear's throat that the gag reflex would deter the bear. And it actually worked. And the guy was able to crawl himself out, but he was severely injured. Like both legs had been bitten, both arms. I mean, the guy had really went through hell and back, but he survived. And so that, when I read that story, I was immediately like, well, you know, I, I'd, I'd heard all the same things too. Like, you know, maybe with a black bear, you want to really, you know, put up your best fight and with a grizzly bear, you're not going to win. So you might as well roll over and die. 
you know, and, and here's this guy that he put up a fight with a grizzly bear and lived. And you hear all these other people about putting up fights. You know, there was that guy in Montana who got attacked by that female twice, you know? And so I think that if you constantly put up that fight and that will to live, you know, you're going to have a fighting chance, but if you roll over and die and that thing wants to eat you, man, that's it. Right. Absolutely. Um, wow. And, and yeah, and Steve, you know, thank you again for coming on the show. And, you know, if I'm ever out West, um, which I have been, but hopefully, you know, in the future in a, in a hunt or something, I'll have to give you a call and, um, let us, you know, you're gonna have to keep us updated on the next Bitcoin sheep hunt when you get that Ram. That you <laughs> yeah, to. definitely. I'm still putting in for it, still trying to draw it. So I'll keep you posted if they give me another tag and I can get back out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Steve, so much for coming on the show. We you bet, your Sam. Time. It was a pleasure. Happy to happy to have you guys have me on board. So look forward to it. Thanks. All right. Talk see you. To you soon. Thanks for joining us on the Sam Hunter Podcast, where we discuss all things hunting, trapping, and fishing. We had a great episode talking with Steve Vouch, who survived a gruesome bear attack as he was on his bighorn sheep hunt. We're thankful that he was able to give us some knowledge about how to handle situations that may be life-threatening like bear attacks in the moment and keeping our calm. Join us next time on the Sam Hunter Podcast, where we discuss all things hunting, trapping, and fishing. If you have any questions you want answered on the podcast, email me at the Sam Hunter Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.